So we work on that and the rest of it comes up to that. Whatever we do in that part uh, speaks to the rest of our life. The thief cometh not except to tempt me from thinking big in small places. That's what everybody does is they they like a chameleon. They match their surroundings. It's not kingdom. It's natural. It's soulish. It's what our whole culture does is matches their surroundings. So you wouldn't want to stick out and be a millionaire. You wouldn't want to stick out and say, I'm always healed. You wouldn't want to stick out and, and say, I have the best of everything. But that's exactly who you are. And the day that we acknowledge that and come into agreement with that and then cooperate with it is the day that begins to work through us. It's not instant. It's not it's not it's not boastful, but it begins to affect our attitude of who we are. I will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. That comes from that very attitude. So two things I looked at in this verse 10 where Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it. Uh, what did he say? More abundantly. So two aspects of that. I, I, I'm going to labor this a little bit. I'm going to belabor this. We're going to dig it out and change the way we think about who we are in him. He said, this is why I've come. Why would we discount the very reason the Lord of glory came and changed us? Why would we say no big deal? Let's get on to the good stuff. This is the stuff. And he, so, so he said, I've come that you might have life in uh, two aspects. One is quality. A quality, have life to the quality. And that would be, quality would be a remarkable life. It would be an exceptional life, a worthy life, a rare and inordinate and phenomenal and singular and special life. That is quality. You can live in a tent, you can live in a cabin, you can live in a, in a hut if you want to, but you don't have to. We're willing to do whatever the Lord sends us to, but that's not the end of anything. He has given us a quality life. Then the other side is that he's given us quantity. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly or have it to the full. One translation says until it overflows. Till you just can't keep all of the life that he's brought you in the regular vessel of your life. It overflows. You are gushing. You are swirling. You are overflowing. And so that would be uh, uh, I looked up the word uh, that that word there. And how about this? It means exceeding abundantly above. What does that make you think of? That's Ephesians 3.20. Exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. Well, he said that's what the kind of life I've come to give you is the, uh, uh, a quantity which is exceeding abundantly above. The word means more abundantly. It means much more. Much more. Say it with me. Much more. Not a little more. Not a dab. Not a skoshi. It's much more. What, what's that? How much is much more? Well, as you meditate it, as you put it in, as you embrace it, it becomes who you are. I am much more than I used to be. We're not comparing ourselves to others, but we're moving through spheres and, and, uh, and layers and seasons of life where what we were is not who we are or what we're going to be. 
So we're making progress. The human condition is to settle, to get to better. Better is better. Is better good enough? Well, not if he's called you to much more than better, exceeding abundantly above. It also means uh, advantaged. This word, I looked it up. If this is the dictionary, this is uh, actually synonyms. It means advantaged. It means very highly, abundantly, very highly. It means beyond measurable. Now, I was impressed with that. Beyond measurable. Wouldn't that be exceeding abundantly above what you could ask or think or imagine? Not beyond measurable. It means much more and it means superfluous. Which is a which is a ethereal term like no matter how far you get out there, there's still more. You hadn't got there yet. So we have a we have a Lord Jesus that's come and not just delivered us from sin and certainly not just delivered us from hell. Which is practically the only subject that people want to talk about concerning the Lord Jesus is, is he delivered me from hell. It's the main reason people seem to get born again is I just don't want to go to hell. Well, that's not spiritual. You want to have a, a good apple or a rotten apple? I choose the good apple. <laughs> that's not spiritual. It's, it's you just don't like worms. <laughs> so uh, it, uh, Jesus said, I, might, I have come to give you an extraordinary life. Would you say it with me? extraordinary life. That's who you are. That's who that's what's in you already. Not something that we're saying, could I have a little more? Or could it be a little better? Or would you think we could uh, work something out? It's already inside us working. But the devil, the thief has come to limit that to normal, ordinary, average. And you can see it in churches that people are no different than the world. And it was never supposed to be that way. That when you got born again, you could see the Christians. You could get around them and say, whew, those are Christians. And I just, I just challenge you to say that most people that you get around, you might not could tell if they were Christians under this banner. Am I right? Well, we don't really care about what they're doing, but we want to be able to be that the Lord would say about you and me. There's my Christian. There's my born again. That's tapping out the definition. So turn with me, if you would, to first Corinthians chapter three. Let's run through this just a little bit. I'm here to persuade you. That's what we're doing this morning. I'm here to persuade you and you'll go out and you'll persuade someone. Not necessarily about this particular message, but you'll be persuasive about who you are and the potential of what somebody else is that has the new birth or that you want to minister. It's much more than just missing hell. First Corinthians chapter three, look in verse one. It says, I, brethren, could not speak to you, speaking to the Corinthian church, a carnal church, it says, I, brethren, could not, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual how could you speak, Paul? I spoke to you as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And we know that the Corinthian church was immature, carnal. If you go to chapter 5, you find out some stuff that they were tolerating. 
that's just unspeakable even in our culture. And then he, he explains that. He said, here, let me prove it. He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Why would you feed them with milk, Paul? For hereunto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. So would you all say this is quite an indictment against the church to say you've been around a while. I birthed you. I nurtured you. I put the stuff in you that would make you strong. And you have chosen to not be strong. And then he said in verse three, for ye are yet carnal, implying a time frame. It's not like, well, I told you this morning. Why hadn't you got it? He it's implying here that I've been feeding you and teaching you and you're still yet carnal. How, how do you know that, Paul? For whereas there is among you envying and strife. So what would you say about a modern church that has envying and strife? You would say they were carnal, that they were not able to take the meat of the word of God. That that indicts a lot of churches, I would suppose. We we stand against strife here as much as anything we we just do not let strife come in because the word says in James where there's strife, envy and strife, there's every evil work. It is the door. So he said there is among you envying and strife and divisions. And then he says, are ye not carnal and walk as men? It's that last part of verse three that I want to talk about just for a moment. The Amplified says behaving yourselves after a human standard and like mere unchanged men. Mere unchanged or unborn again men. The New Living says, aren't you living like people of the world? What an indictment Paul was making. The Passion says, you're behaving like unbelievers. Oh, my. Oh, my. Oh, my. That you would have a church that is satisfied with a status or a, a uh, line of saying that we are just like the world. Matter of fact, when I was growing up and, and a, a young person, we prided ourselves at our church of having domino parties and potlucks so that we could invite the lost <laughs> so they would think we were normal. So that they would know, well, we're not spiritual. We're not something you'd be afraid of or wouldn't want to be with. Look, we're just like you. We like dominoes and a good game of poker and uh, and uh, smoke a cigarette and, and, you know, put it put it out and come in. And we we had parties, fellowships, we called them, where we would prove to our friends we're just like you. We're normal. Of course, none of us knew it at the time. We thought that we were spiritual. The New Living says you're acting like people who don't belong to the Lord at all. And then the New English says you're behaving like unregenerate people. This is the ultimate indictment here in chapter three. So it draws a line so we know which side is spiritual, which side is carnal. We we understand that it's not just because you go to church, not just because you're born again, not just because you you like the people at church that it's a happy church. We're in an age right now, I believe, in our society or in our culture, where this is the norm. This is what people are going back to. Rather than raise the bar and say, come up higher, they're lowering the bar so everybody can come in 
and feel like diversity or inclusion or whatever that that thing is so that we're all okay. Everybody's okay. If you go to church, if you hear the sermon, if you sing the songs, if you like the people there, you're okay. And obviously the church at Corinth was born again, but they didn't have anything else after that. So I would say, like I said last Sunday, stop it. Anybody, any, any of us in here that is thinking along this line that good enough is good enough, that average and regular and, and, uh, uh, and unprovoked is, is good enough. I say stop it. Stop. We should not let ourselves live according to the world standard. Be not conformed to this world, Paul said in Romans, but be ye transformed. So we're working on changing what seems normal to a higher thing. It's very confrontational to lay hands on the sick because what if they don't get healed or whatever that goes through our heads? But we lay hands on them anyway. Why bring our tithe and our offering into the storehouse? Why not just coast? Because we're stretching, we're pressing toward the mark to not just be normal and regular. So Paul said, you're ordinary. You just, he said, I could go outside or I could come into church. And he said, it'll be the same kind of people. He said, it's on earth as it is on earth instead of on earth as it is in heaven. If you would slip over to 2 Corinthians. Aren't you glad we got through that little piece of scripture? Praise God. So we say to ourselves, don't be carnal, don't be babies, be mature, be strong, be extraordinary, be above average, be excellent. Chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians, what a scripture is in here. We're talking about living an extraordinary life. Where? In an ordinary world. You could even say maybe we are endeavoring as a church or as a people, which the church doesn't mean anything. We're all just individuals that we're endeavoring to come up higher in our own personal lives and not be satisfied with what's normal. In chapter 10, verse, uh, let's see, where should we go? Let's go to verse 4. Let's go to verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war after the flesh. So here you have a, uh, if you just take that one verse out, you would say, well, we're supposed to do spiritual warfare. But Paul said in Timothy, the, the fight that we fight is the good fight of faith. That Jesus has already whooped the devil. One thing we like to say is, is just to acknowledge in our lives, the devil will always try to draw you into fight that, a fight that Jesus has already won. Don't do it. Don't go there. So he says, uh, we walk in the flesh. We are normal. We're human. We're in this body. We do not war after the flesh. Well, what does that mean? So then he immediately goes to the weapons. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. And here it is. What do, what do we do? To pull down devils and 
bastions of principalities and powers and rulers. No, he said the warfare that you and I have is not against the devil. The devil was defeated. The devil is defeated. He was, he is, and he always will be. We love to pick a fight. We love to know what the score is. We, we play sports. We, uh, we like to be graded. We like to compete. So we like to whoop the devil and be engaged in some fight that we can struggle and, and strategize and whatever. But doggone, Jesus said, I've already won that battle. It's finished. But he did say that you will have a warfare, and it's, it's uh, not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Then in verse 5, he says, casting down imaginations. Where is our warfare? It's in the mind. The battle in the spirit's already been taken care of. Are y'all with me? He says it's in your imagination. And what else? And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. How do you fix that? Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here we're talking about living an extraordinary life in an ordinary world. So he says here that you can't just decide to pull down strongholds. He says you can't just decide to cast down imaginations. He says you have to take every thought captive. There's a process here. There's a process. And strongholds are too developed and too broad for us just to say, I cast down that stronghold. You can't get there from here. He said imaginations. You can't get there from here. They are embedded. They are embedded in your soul. And if they're allowed to grow there like uh, weeds in a garden, they will grow up and they will choke everything else. But he did say the way to win your warfare was to verse, uh, verse 5, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So here we have the formula how to do it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We'll come back to this. Luke chapter 5, please. Have I got your attention? Amen. Let's win. Let's win the warfare that we've been put in with the weapons that we've been given for the victory that's already been promised. Let's win the battle. Let's not perpetually and forever be trying to get up in an airplane or get on a mountaintop where the, 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 the demonic powers are in the clouds and in the atmosphere and in the stratosphere and get up there and try to pull them down. I war against you, you principalities and powers. They've all been defeated. Their only victory is convincing Christians that they haven't been defeated. That's the only victory they have. And if you ever acquiesce to that, well, then sure enough, they do have power. But in Luke chapter five, we looked at this the other day, verse four. Let's look at this. Verse four. Verse four. Now, and when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master. Here it comes. We have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. 
Sometimes that's like people that pray to God and start giving him information. You know, Lord, and you know, Lord, and you know, Lord. He said, we've toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless. So here's a pivot. At thy word, I will let down the net. Can you see there? He almost missed it. He almost missed it. He he immediately when the Lord said, let down the nets, he went to what? He went to his imagination. He said, my imagination, my experience, my professional opinion is that we've done it all night. And if there wasn't, there probably isn't. If there wasn't fish all night, there probably isn't fish now. So he went to the imagination. You can't win from the imagination. He had to take a thought captive. And the word nevertheless is where he pivots to say, let me back up and take the thought captive. What was the thought? We've, let, we've fished all night and we've caught nothing. That was the thought. That was the imagination. And he had to take it captive by saying, nevertheless, we will let down the net, even though he wouldn't completely obey. So uh, he had a momentary struggle. Does everybody know what this is talking about? That when the, and I've heard a lot of people say, well, the Lord told me this, but, but I argued with him and said this. I do not get that. People tell me that. Pastors tell me that all the time. Well, he told me to do this. And I said, well, now what's that good? Is that going to do? And they'll tell me their story of how they went through this conversation with the Lord after they acknowledged he said. It's like, dude, put, put, put a sock in it. Wrap this thing up. Surrender. Stand down. What are you doing telling the Lord but this and but that? Well, it's that struggle to go straight from the imagination to the victory. Turn with me, slip over to Luke chapter 18. So he, he got a hold of it, didn't he? He said, nevertheless, I will do what you say, and I will take that thought captive. Luke chapter 18, look in verse 22. We look at this verse all the time. This is what we call the rich young ruler. It's never in the scripture that way, but we call it that, where, uh, where he came to the Lord Jesus. And when you come to him, when you initiate it, he's going to give you an answer. Let me just remind you all, when we initiate things, the Lord will answer. You may not get the, the audible in your ear at that moment, but he will answer when you ask him. And this man came and said, good master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord answered to him because the Lord was there. Like when, when uh, Peter said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. <laughs> he was there. He said, come. Well, here the Lord answered and uh, he said, don't do this and don't do that. In verse 21, he said, all these things I've kept from my youth up. Now, when Jesus heard these things, he gave him instructions to get out. He will always give you the answer. Can you say amen? amen? He will. He's faithful. He will always answer a sincere question. We should ask more questions. Why don't we ask? Because we think we've already solved. And it's kind of a subtle form of arguing. It's a subtle form of resisting. 
if he tells us or if, if, if we ask him and he doesn't tell us right away, we kind of assume some things. But here, verse 22, when Jesus heard these things, he heard his answer. I've already done all these things as if I'm done. He said, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all thou hast, distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have, thou shalt have. It will happen. It cannot not happen. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Well, right there, you know, the law of seed time and harvest is if he gives us all of his stuff to the poor, it's coming back to him. But there has to be a period of time where you don't have your stuff. The seed is in the ground. The seed is in the ground. You don't have seed. You don't have harvest because right then the seed is in the ground. The Lord said, put the seed in the ground. And he said, take up, thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful. What's that mean? Like losing your mother? She was walking across the street and the donkey came by and ran her down and she didn't recover. What, what kind of very sorrowful would that be? The word there is very sorrowful. It wasn't just upset and like, doggone, I was hoping for a different answer. The word says very sorrowful. So we can imply here that he was very embedded in his riches. And it goes on to say that very thing. He said, uh, how hardly shall they have riches enter into the kingdom of God? He was he heard this. He was very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he began to talk about a story. He said, how hardly can they, them that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel. Now, if you look in the Passion, first time I've seen it in a long time, the word the word in the Passion goes to the Aramaic and it is the word rope. It's a similar word in the Greek, in the Greek, but in the Aramaic it is. And doesn't that make more sense? Compare a needle and a thread to a needle eye and a rope. Anyway, anyway, it's easier for a rope to go through the a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So he missed it. The rich young ruler missed it. Peter almost missed it. But the rich young man did not have a nevertheless, I will do what you said. Matter of fact, if we were to apply the Simon Peter version to what the rich young ruler said, it would come out like this. Answering him said unto him, Master, I have spent my entire life working hard to accumulate my wealth. What's what Peter say? He said, we've toiled all night. It was all me. Lord, all this wealth came from me. I know how that works. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will sell all I have to the poor and go to follow you. That would be the Simon Peter version. We should at least have that in our lives. I have a little point to make to you, Lord. I, I shouldn't. It's rebellious. It's, uh, it's uh, condescending. But what you're saying doesn't work. Nevertheless, I will do it your way. We've all had that, haven't we? We all have. We've all said, I don't get this. And maybe it wasn't that day. Maybe it wasn't that week. We eventually we come back and say, OK, I'm going to do it his way. If there's a call on your life and there is, we all wrestle with that. 
Why would he call me? Why would he call me to do that? Why all that sort of stuff? So you wrestle with it and you basically say, no, this doesn't fit my life. This doesn't fit what I'm doing. This doesn't fit. How will I negotiate this and how will I deal with that? But then one day, because Holy Ghost just keeps pulling on you, you say, "Okay." That's how the ladies that are in this church that do children's church. That's how everybody went to the nursery. Me and Lynn don't like to go to the nursery, (laughs) but we have to do other things. Amen. Let's read verse 25. It's easier for a camel or a, a rope to go through a needle's eye. And the, verse 26, who, who can then be saved? And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, lo, we have left all and followed thee. So there's some consternation here based on what he told the rich young ruler. Give it all up and follow me and it'll be okay. Apparently these boys had some stuff. Lo, we have left all and followed thee. Why would they say that? Because they had stuff. Do you have some stuff? Sure we do. He wants us to have stuff, but he doesn't want us the stuff to have us. And that's what the rich young ruler had. The stuff had him. And he said unto him, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive many manifold more in this present life, time, and in the world to come, everlasting life. Um, Then he took unto him the twelve and said to them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Unchallenged strongholds unchallenged strongholds, which is the third level, thoughts, imagination, strongholds. If you get something in your life that goes to a stronghold, it it goes to bondage. People that are in bondage have strongholds in their mind, in their life. People that have imaginations have not said nevertheless to the thought. And so it turned into imagination. They wouldn't turn back But it isn't bondage yet. It's not a stronghold. So he's telling us here how to get loose and how to live an extraordinary life. You've got to deal with thoughts. Everybody's had wrong thoughts. You'd be a liar, a doggone liar, if you said, I don't have bad thoughts. Because the devil and this world and the flesh, the curse. Brother Hagin said that... uh, You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from nesting in the branches. And so truly, we've all had thoughts. But the thoughts have to be evicted. A homesteader thought will turn into an imagination. And an imagination running unfettered with reason going on in our heads will turn into a stronghold whether it be drugs or sex or money or pride, all these things are out there. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. We'll wind this up. Living an extraordinary life in an ordinary world. It's going to be different than living like the world. 
That's where the amen goes. It's going to be different than living like the world. It says in verse five, casting down imaginations and every high thing. So imaginations have something in them that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And then he said, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So these are in reverse order. He talks about uh, strongholds, imaginations, and then thoughts. He comes back to them, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So what would you call that? You could, you could talk about the prodigal and where it says, what does it say? He came to himself. He, he, he came to himself and he went back to the thought that had got him into an imagination. Boy, when I get away from big brother, when I get away from dad, I'm go- life is going to be good. And it turned into a stronghold. But then he backed all the way up and he went to the root of it. And he said, let me take that first thought captive. The first thought of I will leave my father and it will be better. We've all had thoughts that needed that thought. The word says he came to himself. Remember when we looked last week at 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 7 it says, uh, ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. That's the man, that's the woman that has either a, a stronghold under bondage or an imagination that refuses to come back and cast down the thought. And the thought will tell you, the thoughts, they're, fleet, they're, they're flitting or fleeting. Let's, we don't have to go to church this morning. Do you all remember back in the day, way back maybe, that you had that thought? You got up and s- to see how you feel. Well, if we feel like it, we'll go. You know, when someone spills the milk at the table over their cereal and it's like, that does it. We're not going nowhere. We're just mad as thunder. And you go, What? It doesn't take anything. Thoughts are very fickle, but they can be controlled. We have, they're just thoughts. They're just thoughts, but they have the power to turn into more. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. It's where we take thoughts captive and we tell our thoughts, this is how we think. We think, I am a Christian, I go to church. I am a Christian, I give. I am a Christian, I forgive. I am a Christian, I go to work. (laughs) I don't complain. Those are the thoughts. But if you find someone that doesn't take those thoughts captive, they turn into an imagination where that's what they do all the time. It's the thing that says, Lord, we've fished all night. And you just keep staying on that broken record. We fished all night. We fished all night. We fished all night. We didn't catch anything, Lord. Don't you get it? We didn't catch anything. And you don't go to the next place, which is nevertheless at your word. Here's the word. You don't have to have Jesus at the shore saying, cast down your nets. He's already said what we should do. So our feelings, our feelings have to be corralled. Don't y'all know we are a feeling people. We have feelings, feelings of compassion, feelings of empathy, feelings of anger, self-righteousness, self. 
All sorts of feelings. There's lots of people I've said, I don't like them. Debrain's heard them. I do not like them. What I'm really saying is that I don't like how they think. I, I'm a, I'm a do-right guy. It's not that I don't like you. I just want you to do right. If you'll do right, then we can all do right. You're messing up my life by not doing right. <laughs> don't y'all know that's how I am? I'm just like, do right. I, I love you, but do right. And uh, that's the place where you didn't say amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> So when you have, uh, when you don't cast down thoughts, excuse me, when you don't take thoughts captive, they turn into imaginations and you begin to live at that level. There's still a place of recovery, but you have to go back and take thoughts captive. You have to go back to the basics. Sometimes it takes an intervention. Somebody will come into your life. You're living in this imagination and they'll say, what is up with you? Why are you thinking the way you're thinking? This is wrong thinking. This will not go anywhere that you want to go. And they'll take you back to the thought and you'll go, I was thinking wrong. And you'll take that thought captive. But if you don't have someone in your life or if you won't let the counsel of the word speak to you or you or or you just can't come to yourself, you have a high threshold of suffering. I have a low threshold of suffering. It doesn't take much for me to say calf rope. I'll do it. I'll change. I say yes. But a lot of people, they're, they're so far in the barrel, they're under the barrel. They, they, you, it doesn't matter. We're amazed that in the, in the tribulation, there will be people that got through the tribulation and God is in the tribulation where, where, uh, excuse me, after the tribulation into the, into the, uh, the millennium. And they're still going to be resisting Jesus who has won and is working on the earth, they're still going to say, I don't believe. You talk about tough stuff. Well, there's people like that right now. So we're always having to adjust. Are y'all with me? We're always having to adjust. You don't get to have your way, but just for a few minutes. I have my little things, my little whatevers, where I just, I don't like it. I don't like it, and I... I tell myself, we don't like this. And then I'll tell Deborah Ann, I don't like that. Would you like to join me? <laughs> Would you like to not like something with me or something? And then, but then the feeling changes. And so you have a chance to not go into the imagination, not to live there, not to embrace it, not to leave your feelings as the controller of your life. And so the Lord can talk to you. And it says there uh, in verse five, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's called coming to yourself. Like the prodigal where where you and what did he say? He said, I should rise up and go back to father where there's plenty. I'll, I'll say to him, father, let me be your servant. I'll negotiate. But this is not it. We're all stung by things that we let get away from us. And they became imaginations and maybe even became strongholds. Sometimes people have strongholds in giving. They'll sit under the word here for five or ten years. And they may tithe, but they're growling the whole time. 
and their thinking. How much time it took to make that money or what they could have bought with that money. They're, they're wrestling in their head about giving. They're giving. Oh, they're giving, you know. But it doesn't do them any good. They're just separated from their money. I've seen this over the years where they give and they want to get along, but, but then one day they come to themselves. I've seen it over and over where they just like, isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? It's like, yeah, welcome back. But here's the key. And here's what, this is what happens to people. When you get into imaginations or strongholds where you're just locked down, you are, you're going to have your way. You're going to do it your way. You're not giving in. You know what was, but now you're not willing. When crisis comes, you have no defense. You can't access the word because you've spurned the word and said, I don't want to listen to the word. I don't want to cast down that. I don't want to take captive that thought. I don't want to cast down that imagination. And the crisis takes you under and swallows you. And in that bondage, somebody has to rescue you or you go out an unhappy person. The thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's how he comes. So we're just going to take the moment and just say, no one wants to analyze your life. We know when you're in a bad mood. Because <laughs> we're all there. We know when things frustrate you and, and you didn't get your way and they didn't do right. That's my thing is people don't do right. I just want them to do right. And so... We know. You know. It's not like, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, you do, if you're honest. So let's just stop it right now. The word says, taking captivity, every high thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Let's just stop it right there this morning. Let's just stop it. If you've got a little thing that you've just been battling inside for a long time, that you know what the Lord wants, you know what the word says, but you just don't want to give in. You may give in on the outside, but on the inside, you don't like it. Even someone like me that's kind of got a strong personality and is straight to the truth and all that sort of stuff. There's no telling how many times I've offended people. Didn't mean to. Certainly that was not my intent, but not being cognizant of who I'm in front of or not understanding what my words might mean to somebody, just saying it out there. It's truth, I, mostly, usually. I hope it all is, but I understand. You just got to get past all that. Because if you, if, you, if, you, if you execute the messenger, you don't have a message. And I'm good for a lot of things, even though I'm not perfect at hardly anything. If you've ever had a problem with that, so they get a new preacher in here. He's, if he's worth his salt, he's going to step on your principles and your, your favorites and all that. So we got, my point is, we just got to lay it down. We got to win this warfare, the warfare that's in our mind. It's not the devil. He's under our feet. He is whooped, whooped, 
and then again whooped. He is not a factor in your life. The only war that we really fight is the fight to stay in faith. We have something that's contrary to our faith going on, a contradiction. And our faith is holding on to the word and we're saying, I am supplied. But you look in your account and there's nothing and the bill's coming or the bill's there and you're going, there's a contradiction here. That's the only fight we fight is to keep ourselves in faith. The good fight of faith, the good fight is the fight you win. So we win, but we'd win faster if we would deal with our thoughts that says, what am I going to do? And like Melissa shared this morning, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? That's a form of everything that we deal with. So, Lord, right now, we just give it up. We, we are not poo-pooing that prodigal in the swine, with, in the swine pen. We say, that's me. In some dimension, in some layer, in some avenue, I have been there or I am there, and I got to give it up. I got to give it up. I got to rise up and say, I will rise up and go to Father's house. You are right, Lord. And I did fish all night, and I did not catch anything. Nevertheless, it's your word. I'm going to have a better attitude, and I'm going to agree with heaven. So right now, Lord, we repent of whatever I'm repenting of. I repent. And repentance only works if it's spoken. So you can't just think it. But nobody has to hear you. So if, if not now, make a plan to speak out. I'm repenting of this, Lord. I'm turning from it. I've already done that this morning in a couple areas. And it's like it's all the time. Adjusting. 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 Did y'all hear me? We're adjusting. We're staying out of the imagination, certainly out of the stronghold realm, and we're taking every thought, which I can do, we can do, we're taking it captive. So right now I take those thoughts captive that exalt themselves against the lordship of Jesus. I take those thoughts. I'm bought with a price. I'm not my own. I have no right to have contrary thoughts. So right now I release them. I will not be that person. I will not act that way. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. If we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us. And right now, Lord, we thank you for cleansing us. We will not bring it up again. You will never bring it up. You cleansed us from all unrighteousness. I am delivered. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we're living an extraordinary life. We can't help ourselves. We can't help ourselves. It's who we are. That's who I am. That's who you are. That's, and who I am is what I do and what I have. So if I get that straight, everything else is fixed. Boy, isn't that the truth? We do save ourselves. Believe in God saves you a lot of trouble. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That was a good series. I know when it's good. I don't tell y'all when it's a bad one, but I know. Well, we just deal with the truth. Well, I, I, I'm not trying to get praise here. I'm just saying the Lord helped us. The Lord helped us. And nevertheless, nevertheless. So we're going to change our money. We're going to change our forgiveness. We're going we're to adjust. We're always adjusting. We never get there and say, "Woo, finally got here. I'm good. We're always adjusting. 
I have to tell a lot of people, I'm sorry I said that or did that or whatever. Not a lot of people, but enough that I know it. And they're like, none taken or whatever. But I'm trying to keep me right and keep me out of imaginations. Because I'm telling you, there's, we don't have long on this earth. We best get it done right now. Going up in the, in the rapture, in the blink of an eye, a tenth of a second, is there's no time to get it right by then. <laughs> Amen. Well, let's stand up. Let's sing to the Lord.